With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Lindsay Busiak? First, I will look at the background of this case, move to the timeline of the crime, and offer my analysis. Lindsay Busiak was born on November 2, 1983, and lived in Saanich, British Columbia, Canada. Her father was named Jeff and her mother Evelyn. Lindsay had a sister named Sarah. By 2008, Lindsay had a boyfriend named Jason Zalo. His family owned a real estate business and was wealthy. Lindsay was also in the real estate business. She worked as a real estate agent. In late January 2008, Lindsay received a call on her personal cell phone from a woman with a foreign accent looking to buy a house. The woman said that she and her husband were moving to Victoria and wanted a house that was in move-in condition. They were looking for three bedrooms, three bathrooms, and a separate area for a housekeeper. There was some time pressure they wanted to buy a house in two days. The couple had a $1 million budget for this purchase. Lindsay was suspicious and concerned about the nature of the call. She asked the caller how she knew her personal cell phone number. The woman explained that one of Lindsay's clients from the past had given it to her. Later, Lindsay tried to get a hold of that client in an effort to verify the woman's story, but she was not able to do so. Lindsay spoke to her father, Jeff, her boyfriend, Jason, and a few of her friends about how she was disturbed by the caller. She believed that the woman was trying to fake a Spanish accent. Jason told Lindsay that the commission from the sale would be substantial. He advised her to show the client houses. He assured Lindsay that he would park his vehicle outside of whatever property they were looking at and would respond if anything bad happened. Lindsay found a house that was appropriate based on the client's needs. It was located at 1702 D'Souza Place, Victoria, British Columbia. This house is on a cul-de-sac with three other houses. It was priced at about $964,000. Lindsay set an appointment to look at the house for February 2, 2008 at 5.30 p.m. The mysterious client informed Lindsay that she would be alone to tour the house. Her husband would not be joining her. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. During the afternoon of February 2, 2008, Lindsay and Jason ate a meal at a restaurant and departed at 4.24 p.m. They were driving separate vehicles. Lindsay probably went home at this point so that she could change clothes, but this is not known for certain. Regardless, she eventually made her way to the house she was going to show to the mysterious woman. Jason drove to an automotive detailing shop to drop off a contract 
At some point, he also picked up a colleague. Jason sent Lindsay a text message at 5.29 p.m. saying that he was nine miles away from the house. Lindsay responded, okay, I'll see you in a bit. Jason left the shop at 5.30 p.m. Witnesses saw a man and a woman walking near the house at around this time. The man was about six feet tall, Caucasian, had dark hair, and was well-dressed. The woman was also Caucasian. She had blonde hair and was wearing a dress containing a distinctive pattern. She was between 35 and 45 years old. The couple walked into the cul-de-sac. No witnesses saw any vehicle associated with the couple. Witnesses saw Lindsay shake hands with both the man and the woman. It appeared as though Lindsay had never met them based on the body language. After this, Lindsay and the couple entered the house. The lockbox was unlocked at 5.29 p.m. At 5.38 p.m., Jason sent Lindsay a text message indicating he was just a few minutes away. She never opened this message. At 5.41 p.m., Lindsay's phone made a call. The police would later say this was because the buttons of the phone were pressed during the course of a struggle. At 5.45 p.m., Jason arrived at the house. His colleague was with him. When Jason parked, he could see two people inside the house by looking through the glass in the front door. Jason remained outside according to the plan. He was there for about 10 minutes before he decided to park on another street. He was worried that he might be viewed as someone trying to interfere. After waiting there for 10 minutes, Jason sent a text message to Lindsay asking if she was okay. She did not open this message either. Jason then approached the house. He tried to gain entry through the front door, but it was locked. Looking through the glass, he could see Lindsay's shoes. Apparently, she would regularly remove her shoes when showing a house. Jason knocked on the door repeatedly, but no one answered. He called 911 at 6.05 p.m. As he was on the phone with a dispatcher, he lifted his friend over a fence. The friend entered through an unlocked door and let Jason in the front door. Jason disconnected the call to emergency services at this time. He went upstairs and found Lindsay in the master bedroom. She was in a pool of blood. At 6.11 p.m., Jason once again called 911. First responders arrived on the scene and declared Lindsay dead. Here's what the police found during their investigation. Lindsay had been stabbed over 40 times and her throat was slit. She did not have any defensive wounds. She was not the victim of an assault of a sexual nature. Her phone, which had made that outbound call at 5.41 p.m., was in her pocket. None of her property had been stolen. As the investigation continued, the police were unable to find any physical evidence at the scene which could be connected to the killers. There were no fingerprints, no fibers, no hair, no footprints, no DNA, no murder weapon, absolutely nothing. The police concluded that the killers fled because Jason arrived at the property. They exited through the back patio door and must have made their way to a vehicle that was parked nearby. The mysterious woman who called Lindsay used a cell phone that was purchased in Vancouver three to six weeks before the murder. It was activated two days before the murder. The phone had not been used before calling Lindsay. The address associated with the account was a business, but the business did not appear to have any connection to the case. The account on the phone was under the name Paulo Rodriguez, which the police believe was a fake name. The police determined that on the day before the murder, 
the phone traveled on the ferry from Vancouver. Not long after the murder, the phone was deactivated and never used again. The police would later say that there was another phone that was used to check the voicemail on the first phone, but the police don't know who the owner of that phone was either. The police cleared Jason and his colleague of any involvement in the murder. Eight weeks prior to the murder, in December of 2007, Lindsay visited Calgary and made contact with a male friend. Eleven days before the murder, that friend was arrested as part of a drug trafficking operation. Although this is suspicious, the police said this was not connected to Lindsay's murder. In February of 2021, the police said that advancements in DNA technology created new leads in the murder investigation, so perhaps some evidence was recovered from the house after all. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Now moving to my analysis. What was the motive for this homicide? Let's take a look at the major theories in this case, including the evidence that supports and refutes each theory. Theory number one, Lindsay's current romantic partner, a past romantic partner, or someone else close to her, arranged the murder. The police ruled out Jason and Lindsay's former boyfriend, but that doesn't mean that someone didn't hire the killers. Supporting this theory would be the fact that the killers had Lindsay's personal cell phone number and how she was murdered in a horrific fashion, like somebody was trying to send a message of rage. As far as the factors that refute this theory, there's no reason to believe that Jason or Lindsay's former lover had any motive to kill her. If Jason was involved, and again the police said he was not, why would he set up such a haphazard alibi? One of the key advantages of murder for hire is not having to be the one who discovers the body. Typically, lovers kill out of anger, which tends to make them act impulsively. This was a carefully planned out crime. 
Theory number two, Lindsay was targeted in connection with something she learned related to drug trafficking. Looking at the evidence supporting this theory, Lindsay had a friend who was arrested for drug trafficking not long after Lindsay had contact with the friend. Perhaps Lindsay saw something that criminals did not want her to testify about. The killers purchased a cell phone several weeks before the murder, which makes it seem like the murder was premeditated for that amount of time. However, drug dealers often purchase burner phones. Maybe these killers simply used a phone they had originally purchased for their drug business. If that was the case, the killers actually appeared to be in a rush. They pushed hard to get Lindsay to help them by saying they had a million dollars to spend and they wanted to see a house in two days. So maybe the crime wasn't planned that long in advance after all. Moving to the factors that refute this theory, if Lindsay did witness something disturbing or revealing, she didn't appear to tell anybody. One would think that she may mention something like that to family or friends. Like she might say, hey, is it normal to see someone you know stacking bricks of cocaine, asking for a friend? Furthermore, if she was in fear for her life, why didn't she connect the mysterious client to her original fear? She was afraid of the client, but not because of some prior connection to another event. Theory number three, the male killer was a sexual domination killer, like many serial killers are. Sexual contact with the victim is not required for this motive. The gratification can be obtained from the act of murder alone. This theory fits well with the circumstances of the murder. Under this theory, the male killer communicated to his female lover that he had this desire. She became a conspirator. They carefully planned a way to isolate a female victim. It did not have to be Lindsay. They may have attempted to get other victims alone. The male had a knife with him when his partner and Lindsay entered the house, but he was not positive he was going to go through with the crime. It took him a few minutes to work up his nerve, 12 minutes to be precise. Once he did, he attacked viciously. Another version of this theory is that they planned on kidnapping Lindsay, but that proved more difficult than they expected, and they killed her during the process. As far as factors that refute this theory, sexual domination killers typically don't plan crimes long in advance, and this murder was carefully planned. Theory number four, this was an attempt to execute the perfect murder. Like these killers did not have any sexual, financial, or revenge-based motives. They simply wanted to see if they could get away with homicide. Supporting this theory would be how the killers did not leave any physical evidence behind, and they were careful not to give away their identities through their cell phone communications. Several factors refute this theory. Why use a suspicious fake accent, claim to have a million-dollar budget, and ask to see a house in two days? There was no need to rush under this theory. Why did the female conspirator show up with a male, knowing that this was a deviation from what Lindsay expected and might make Lindsay flee or call for help? Why not simply enter the house with Lindsay and let the male into the house a few minutes later? Why did the killers wait 12 minutes to murder Lindsay? When they entered the house, they knew they were alone with her. Every minute they waited decreased their chances of getting away with the crime. A knife makes sense under this theory, but why did they employ overkill? Maybe this was part of the plan. They wanted to make it seem personal to send the authorities in a different direction with the investigation. Why did the killers allow themselves to be spotted standing in front of the house by two different witnesses? Why did they select the house that was empty and had recently been cleaned? 
when this means that there would be less evidence that could be confused with whatever the killers may have accidentally left behind. When looking at all the factors related to this theory, it appears as though the killers were not that careful after all. They were trying to be careful, but they were not highly capable criminals. Theory number five, this was a robbery gone wrong. When the man pulled the knife, the plan fell apart, and he ended up killing Lindsay. The main problem with this theory is the amount of time and effort the couple expended to get Lindsay alone. They could have robbed a dozen people in the time they used to set this up. People who commit robbery rarely win awards for having patience. Theory number six, the people who set up the tour of the house were not the killers. They walked into the house only to find an assailant waiting. The couple fled the scene as Lindsay was being murdered, grateful that they had not used their real identities to look at this expensive house. I think this theory is pretty unlikely. How would I rank these theories from most to least likely? I think that theory number three is the most likely, sexual domination killer. Then I would go with theory number two, drug-related. Theory number five, robbery gone wrong. Theory number four, perfect murder. Theory number one, romantic partner or someone else close to Lindsay. And theory number six, the couple touring the house was the most unlucky house-seeking couple in the world. Now moving to my final thoughts. Lindsay observed a number of warning signs in this case. For example, the mysterious woman was faking an accent. The woman somehow had Lindsay's personal cell phone number. Out of the blue, the woman called saying she had a million dollars to spend. And the couple walked up to the house for their appointment and did not park their vehicle within sight. I think that Lindsay wanted to be financially successful, and she thought that her boyfriend, Jason, would protect her. The really surprising part of her behavior is that she entered the house knowing that her boyfriend was running late. So she had a plan for her protection in place, but when he deviated from that plan, she didn't change her actions. She could have simply waited for him to show up. After shaking hands with the killers, perhaps Lindsay felt comfortable with them. Like she thought to herself, oh, these people aren't bad after all. Perhaps I misjudged them. At this point, Lindsay decided not to exercise appropriate caution. I doubt she even told them that her boyfriend was on the way, because if she had, the killers probably would have changed their plan. For that matter, there are a number of things that she could have said, some of which would have been deceptive, but they would have been designed to protect her. Like she could have said that the house had cameras installed, she could have said that another real estate agent had a showing at the same time. She's sorry for the confusion. There are just so many things that she could have done that would have made it seem as though help was on the way or someone else would have seen the couple. This could have discouraged them from engaging in bad behavior. I think this case underscores the importance of paying attention to intuition. Lindsay had solved the puzzle. She was right. The couple was dangerous. However, Lindsay refused to believe in herself. She doubted her own conclusions with lethal consequences. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. 
Chumbacasino.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.